Hey, Devils fans, make sure to sign up for the RWJ Barnabas Health Running with the Devils Virtual 5K, where 100% of the proceeds from the event will benefit RWJ Barnabas Health's Emergency Response Fund. Those who register and run the 5K via the RunGo app between October 1st and October 25th and submit their best time are entered for a chance to receive prizes. Visit NewJerseyDevils.com slash 5K to register. Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan, along with my good friend and partner, Amanda C. Stein. Welcome to the latest edition of Speak of the Devils. Amanda, how you doing? doing well, Maddie. How are you doing? Things are going well. The calendar has Good. turned and uh, we're getting some cooler nights after what was a blazingly hot period of the summer and then a wet summer as well, at least here in New Jersey. The temperature is changing a little bit, opening the windows a little bit more at night and uh, we are approaching fall. And I know we haven't had a lot of hockey to talk about, but that means we're approaching uh, a restart for the New Jersey Devils anyway. And hopefully I'm going to knock on wood here. Everything continues to go as well as it has. And we will have uh, Devils hockey in the near term. Well, I will say I, of course, I'm still up in Montreal. So I'm quite a bit further north than you are. So our fall season has already started to turn. The uh, leaves are falling. They're turning different colors. It's the most beautiful time of year as far as I'm concerned. Um, so yeah, it's crazy to think that I have now been home in Montreal for six months, six months, almost to the day now. And so Uh, I've been here for spring, summer and fall, (laughs) and I really hope I'm out of here by winter. We're going to pull you out (laughs) and we're going to pull you out for winter. That's for sure. Although I know how much you love it up there. You do love New Jersey. You have have found a home here, but you do love Uh, Montreal. I know it's going to be a little difficult to get you to come back down, but uh, I know we will get you back for the winter. That is is for sure. And of course, you know, there was a time in my career, I got kind of caught up. I was, it was early in in my NHL uh, media career and I was in Toronto one time and I got caught up in a lot of talk about Toronto and the the capital of hockey and it's you know it's the cathedral of hockey and yeah there it's a big city the biggest in Canada and because of hockey night in Canada uh, back in the day when there were only uh, just two Canadian teams the English speaking side from coast to coast got Toronto games and it was basically just Quebec that got Montreal games so there is a huge enormous fan base yeah. for the Toronto Maple Leafs and I kind of got pulled into that a little bit and then finally I came to my sense and said what are you kidding me Montreal's won a billion cups. Uh, you know, yeah. the, 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 their, their history is so far superior to Toronto. And I bring that up, not because you're in Montreal, but because that leads us to our guest today, who, when you talk about all-time greats of, all-time great, uh, of an all-time great team, you know, he is there. Larry Robinson, yeah. just a superb player. I mean, he was part of those teams from the 70s that just consistently won. He was part of what they call the big three in terms of their big three defensemen. And I mean, I'm going to talk to Larry about it a little bit, but, you know, Larry is one of the reasons why I grew up loving the game of hockey. Now, of course, 30 how old am I? 34 years old. I never saw Larry play. Um, I think he re- his last Stanley Cup was the year I was born as a player. So uh, not to, to, you know, anyone on this podcast, but 
my stepdad, and I, I told Larry this, my stepdad moved from Ireland to Montreal and he wanted to get involved in something that felt Montreal to him to feel a part of, you know, the, the culture here. And so he started going to hockey games and players like Larry Robinson really pulled him in with the way they played, the ruggedness, the constant success that eventually he passed on his for the game through the play of players like Larry Robinson to me. And, you know, that's sort of the little connection there for me uh, when it comes to the influence that Larry has had on generations of players, or excuse me, generations of players, but also fans. Yes, and certainly uh, takes his place in Devils history as a longtime assistant coach, came in with Jacques Lemaire, helped the Devils to that first championship, was behind the bench as the head coach when the Devils won their second, and just whenever asked, was a man who stepped up to help the Devils. And when you speak with players like Kenny Danico or Scott Stevens, talented Mm -hmm. in their own rights, won a Hall of Famer, won Mr. Devil. They all have a really warm place in their heart and a lot of supportive words for what Larry Robinson meant to them in terms of their approach to the defensive side of things. Here's the thing. He's a Hall of Famer, but he became a Hall of Fame teacher as well. He didn't just say, this is how I did it. He learned. He taught, and the Devils were the beneficiaries. And so it's uh, it's been a marvelous relationship the Devils have had and their fans with Larry Robinson. And it is our pleasure to bring him to the show. And it is an exciting time for Speak of the Devils and for me personally as we welcome Larry Robinson to the show. Amanda, we get a chance to talk to one of the best, not just a Hall of Famer, but when you get to the top of that Hall of Fame pyramid, Larry's got a little room in the in there. Larry, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure, Matt. And so- Amanda. No, I mean, it's very exciting for me, Matt, you were just saying, um, you know, because I grew up a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, born and raised, and my stepdad is from Ireland, actually, and he moved to Montreal when he was younger, and he grew up watching Larry play, and it's because of that love of watching the Montreal Canadiens that he passed on to me that I'm now working with the New Jersey Devils. What a cool link that is. The big three, Larry, the big three. Big three. (laughs) You know, Larry, I'm sure you hear stories like that on a regular basis. I became a fan of because of your play, your teammates play. I mean, what a great run. You won six cups with those Canadian teams. When you Mm -hmm. hear that, does it ever get old? No. If you don't hear it, that's when you start to worry. (laughs) But, uh, no, I mean, you, you uh, work all your life and you play a game that you love. And it's nice that, you know, people get to appreciate what you did. And uh, I even have, you know, as you know, I, I was working with the, the Blues the last few years. And um, I'll often get guys come up to me and say, hey, oh, yeah, I watched watch your game last night uh, in the 1979 <laughs> Stanley Cup playoffs or whatever he said do you ever get off the ice? And you know, when you're playing, you don't even realize some of the stuff that you do. And I, and I never, I never was a guy that used to really like watching myself. I didn't like to watch myself play because uh, I guess I was too critical. I figured I should have done better or whatever, but uh, um, I I appreciate, I really, really appreciate the the people that come up and say, you know, uh, the reason that I'm, 
watching hockey is because I, I used to watch you as a as a youngster or whatever. Except if they're look they, if they look or they're about the same age as I am, and they say I used to watch you as a youngster. <laughs> <laughs> the the first um, retirement ceremony in terms of jerseys that I ever went to, Larry, was yours in Montreal. And I mean, you, we all know that Montreal really sets the bar high when it comes to ceremony. So I distinctly remember being at your ceremony and just, you know, kind of understanding more. I'm of a younger Habs fan generation when I was growing up. So it really brings the whole thing together of just what type of team you guys had. Yeah. You know, you know, it was funny too. Well, not, not funny, haha, but everybody uh, was wondering who I was going to get to come yep. introduce to me. And uh, um, it's kind of ironic that uh, one of the guys that I, look up to the most or one of the people that I look up to the most other than my, I guess my, my parents and, uh, and family is, uh, was Lou for what he did for me and, uh, Jacques Caron and, and everything else. And, and, uh, so it, it was really special for me to have, have Lou there, you know, uh, uh, during that retirement and, um, you know, and kind of looking back on it, uh, the youngster that was, uh, with me, my grandson, um, who walked through the the dressing room and then out onto the ice? This little wee uh, guy that uh, you know walking around uh, is now almost as big as I am right now. He just turned twenty years old, so it tells you how long, how long ago that was. Uh, what a what a wonderful memory. Uh, we will talk a little bit about Montreal because you know that's where it started for you in hockey. But yeah, uh, we we are going to focus on the devil side. So uh, sure. How did this all happen? In other words, Jacques Lemaire gets named head coach. A couple of days yeah. later, you're announced as an assistant coach. That was back in 1993. Yeah. Was that always something you thought would happen? If Jacques got a job, you'd be with him. Uh, you were a teammate of his. What's the backstory there? Well, the, the backstory is I had no inkling of what was going on. First of all, I didn't know that Jacques had been hired by Lou. I just got a call uh, from, from Lou uh, hi, this is Lou Lamarillo with the New Jersey Devils. Um, I'd like to come up and speak to you. Would you be interested in, uh, you know, an assistant coaching job? And I, I, I hadn't even thought about it because I took a year off and I worked for the Bridgestone Firestone Tire Company in Canada. So I was their national spokesperson. So I traveled across Canada and met uh, some of their dealers and uh, got to play, go on golf excursions and everything. It was fantastic. I mean, a fantastic time. I met some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. But I had no inkling that of, you know, getting back into coaching. So in a way, uh, Lou called and he says, well, I'm, I'm flying into, at that time it's called Dorval Airport. I'm flying into Dorval Airport. There's a hotel right there. I'll meet you there at such and such a time. I, I don't remember the exact time. So anyway, I walk in, and who's sitting there but Jacques Lemaire? I go, hey, Jacques, what are you doing here? And then Lou sort of, you know, went on to say that, uh, you know, that he had hired Jacques as the head coach and that Jacques uh, had asked if you could try to get Larry Robinson to be one of the assistants. So that's where it all started. I talked to them for a while. Uh, you know, about different things and everything else. And, uh, and then I moved, but this is the best story. So in a way uh, it's come training camp time. And, uh, when, when I was in Los Angeles, uh, I bought my son, a, a little red Jeep 
uh, red Jeep with a black top. Um, and um, he, he ended up going back to college down at East Coast. So anyway, I said, you know what, I'm going to take that to, and go to Jersey. So, um, so I load everything up. I put all the stuff in, in the, the vehicle and then we're going up to the Turtle, I think it's Turtle Brook, right? It was a Turtle Brook yep. that we used to, yep. yeah, yep. That's Turtle Brook Arena. I had no idea where I was going. Well, so it was Turtle Brook, I, Turtle Brook was the hotel across the street from South yeah, yeah, Mountain. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So this is, and I, this is my first time there. So anyway, I pull in to the front and I, I'm looking around. I, yeah, this must be the place. So I grab my briefcase and everything else, to, and I walk in to check in for my first training camp. And uh, they go, hi, Mr. Robin. And I got all the leaflets and all the stuff for the training camp and everything. I walk back out, no vehicle. <laughs> so, so I was there a total of 15 minutes, came back out, and somebody stole my car, my clothes, everything. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> And they and they found the car, uh, what, two and a half weeks later, it had been all stripped down and everything was going to be shipped shipped across. So they had uh, they had stolen it. So they asked me if I wanted it. I said, well, no, not really, but I wouldn't mind my clothes back. <laughs> so anyway, I had to get all all brand new clothes and, and everything else. But good thing, the good thing is, I for, for some reason, I don't know why I'd taken my briefcase and everything. Otherwise, I would have lost everything. But wow. Was your equipment was in there too? Injury. Everything. 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 So you my, needed new my, skates, new everything. Get new skates, new everything. Everything gone. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> That's a welcome to Jersey kind of moment. Welcome to Jersey. But you know, I had I had a wonderful, wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, time in Jersey. It's some of my my favorite times were, you know, in West Orange and uh, and then of course uh, Jacques Jacques Caron and I both lived out in Hackensack. Um, in the apartments there, the Excelsior, and uh, we had some great, great times there, and the great memories because those were the last years of um, Jacques' uh, late wife. So uh, we were really close. So I'm glad we got to spend some some good time with them, them as well. When you're not thinking about becoming a coach at that point, it's not sort yeah. of on your radar. Other than working with, you know, Jacques and, and Lou, what was the main selling point for you that said, okay, like I want to get back in the game, but on these, but on this side? Uh, well, it, I, I had a lot to learn because mm -hmm. of course Jacques had, uh, had, had left and he was already away from the game and had taken up, a, he, he had a head coaching job down um, in um, New York somewhere at a, at a college. And then he went over to Europe as well. So he had a lot of experience. And so I said, well, you know, if I'm going to do this. And, and I knew Jacques really, really well. We hung yeah. out together in the summers and our families used to um, go boating together and all that kind of stuff. So the nice thing about it is I knew Jacques extremely well. And uh, so I just, I went in with, uh, you know, open ears. And, um, and I don't know if you ever le learned from Jacques because we'd do our we'd do our meetings in the morning for the practice and everything. And we'd get in and by the second, by the second drill, he's doing, going off and doing something else. And I finally, I just said, okay, that's perfect. I'll just move the box. Just tell me where to go. <laughs> and uh, so I watched him and listened and everything else. And, and uh, of course it was my job to look after the defenseman. So um, I figured I should know that that uh, position. Okay. But uh, the biggest, biggest change is when you're behind 
behind the bench, especially watching the game is that you, you don't look at it like, Oh, I should have done it that way. You, you've got to, you've got to teach yourself. Okay. What are they doing? What can I tell this guy or what can I show uh, this particular player to make him better? And uh, so that's, that's the, that's the learning part. And then, then of course, you know, uh, guys that grow up that wanting to be coaches, learning drills and all that other stuff. And I hated, I, even as a head coach, I hated doing the drills and all that. Uh, Cause I never, I mean, a lot of the stuff that or drills that I want to do, I just make up in my head because that's the way Lemaire used to be. He would watch a, he would watch the uh, replays of the games. And then the next day he'd make up a drill for some of the mistakes he kept, that we kept doing in in the game. So the, that, that's that's kind of how I had learned it too. So whenever I got into head coaching, I I liked having like Perp when uh, John Perpich was there. He was a he was good. He knew a lot of drills and all that kind of stuff. So I would tell him, okay, we're having trouble doing this, this, and this. Can you make me up a drill? You know, for that particular that particular play. So that's that's how we worked it. It was a pretty good group of defensemen that you came in to help elevate their play. Obviously, you followed the game, so you knew what you were getting into. What did you find yeah. when you saw Scott Stevens, Neaters at the beginning of his career, uh, Kenny Danico's there? Yeah. It's a pretty good group of defensemen. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you. Uh, the one thing that I remember is something I heard uh, uh, from Gordy Howe. When they asked him, he said, Gordy, he said, you're 50 something years old. He said, why, you know, why are you still playing? Uh, you know, you've got nothing more. There's nothing more you can learn. He goes, that's the one thing is that you never stop learning. There's always something else to learn. There's always ways of making yourself better. And um, I know working with Dano and, and Scotty and uh, not so much Nieder because Nieder was, he was a different, he was just on a, planet by himself. I mean, he was, he was special. Um, but a lot of them, I, the biggest thing for, for me that I used to talk, was, I used to talk about was my stick I said, you know, you gotta, you have to, if you want to stay in this game for a long time and even more so now it's even worse because the, the game is so darn fast, but you have to learn how to use your stick. I said, uh, you, you know, your stick is like a rudder on a boat. You want it, you want your boat to go one way, you put your you put your stick here. If you want the boat to go the other way, you put your stick here. And so a lot of my uh, teachings was where to stick position and that kind of stuff. And uh, and then drills, we we did a lot of drills, uh, like with, especially with Scotty and Dano for their feet, because uh, the, the I wanted to get. I knew that uh, just from having played, you know, or played against Scotty and and hearing other people. Uh, you know, Scotty was a, a mountain of a man. He was so darn strong, but really had a bad temper. And um, so uh, with Scotty, I, I tried to get him to get quicker feet uh, and and to close and all that kind of stuff. But the biggest thing was is we, we had a conversation once and I said to Scotty, I said, Scotty, um, I said, you're a great player. You're, you know, you're especially important for us. Uh, on this team because uh, we we need you out there you kill penalties and you know you get big hits and everything else but pretty tough to do that when you're sitting in the penalty box so and and people know that so they're going to get under your skin 
And uh, I, I myself, I, I was talking from experience because when I first came in, I had I had a really bad temper, and uh, more so on the minors. Maybe not so much when I got a little bit older than that, but um, that was the first thing they said: is that you're more important. The only way, way you can turn things around. Uh, you know, there are good penalties and there are bad penalties, but he was taking a lot of bad penalties just because of his temper. So I, so I got him to, you know, control his temper more and believe more that he, that he uh, uh, was an important cog and he definitely was um, for our team. And so uh, he got to uh, stay on the ice a lot more. But <laughs> I'm laughing because I used to watch him when he'd come off the ice and uh, at, when I first got there and I could go over and I try to talk to him and the steam coming from, <laughs> from his head, he was so mad. He, I, I mean, I might as well have, was talking to the wall. So I knew just, I'd sit there and I'd wait and then I'd see him and then he'd have his teeth and he <sighs> like this. And then as soon as I saw his jaw relax a little bit, then I'd go over and talk to him. And then, but I would never say Scotty, you know, Scotty, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, it was always we, when, when Scotty and I spoke, it was like uh, two brothers, uh, you know, talking and said, you know, yeah, what you did is not, is not bad, but if you want to do this and this and this and this, I thought, I think you would have more success and then you'd have more energy to do this, this, and this, and this. And that's how him and I communicated. When you, you know, you mentioned Scott Niedermeyer on a planet on his own, as a coach then, how, you know, how are you relating to that? How are you helping him? What's the unique um, situation there between coach and player, knowing just how strong he was? Well, with Scott, uh, when, especially Nieder, when I first got there as an assistant, um, I think Nieder and I probably once a week went, went for dinner. Jock would come to me, he goes, oh. Neater's on one of his uh, uh, trips or whatever. Can you go on out and have a little talk with him, have lunch with him or have dinner with him? And I said, oh, yeah, okay. So we go out and we talk and everything else. So I really got to know Neater really, really well. But uh, he was the type of player that, you know, he was extremely intelligent, extremely intelligent. And and it's like it's like telling a, a checker, well, you got to score goals. No. You don't tell a checker how to score goals. You you tell a goal scorer how to check, and that's the right. same with uh, with Nieder. Nieder, <coughs> excuse me, uh, played off kind of off the seat of his pants, and he he was just he was special. I mean, I don't, uh, to this day I don't know if there's only if a handful of people that I've ever seen that uh, could skate like Nieder could. Just a, a sublime talent, and uh, I know the guys who played with him. Uh, say it in of respect and almost in amazement that there could be a skate after practice after maybe a, a bad game or bad stretch of games. And so yeah. the guys are going to be worked and like Nieder would come out with just a little bit of sweat, like on his chest, just a little mark. Cause the guys are dying and he'd be just walking into the room with this little ball of sweat. Just like, yeah. Hey, what's up guys. I mean, just what, a, what an incredibly gifted athlete. So what was 95 like uh, the devil's, had started to establish themselves, right? Uh, yep. They had this base, and now you and Jacques and, and Jacques Caron are there and elevating more, losing the Eastern Conference final in 94. And now 95 hits the lockout, but that championship, how sweet was it? And is there any comparison to winning a championship as a player versus a coach? No, 
no comparison. So it's a way different. Um, well, that that year was <clears throat> extremely uh, uh, special, you know, for myself and for Jacques Caron, because during the lockout, uh, Jacques and I both went to Albany, uh, and we got and I got to work firsthand with Robbie Fatorik, and and it was I. I to this day, I thank Robbie from the bottom of my heart what he what he allowed me to do because because uh, he had a few things to do once in a while. He said, "Okay, Larry, you go and take practice." And I'm holy mackerel! I mean, and so I, that was a, my first chance of of having to organize a practice and you know and and do that kind of stuff. So um, it was good in that way. But then a lot of the when the 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 strike was over, a lot of not a lot, but quite a few of those young guys ended up coming up. And playing with us uh, on the big team, and um, and Jacques and I, uh, we talked about that before uh, from '94 uh, when we lost lost in the finals there. And a lot of it is we got we meaning Jacques Jacques and I on the bench got caught up in the excitement of the moment, and so we lost our focus because what was happening was we're getting excited. And, and as such, the guys were getting excited. And then so we lost our cool. And uh, that was the biggest the biggest difference, I think, from 94 to 95 is that uh, we we weren't worrying about how the other team was playing. We knew how we had to play. And and of course, I mean, you look at that team now. I mean, holy mackerel. I mean, that was that was a big team. We were a big team. And uh, and we had to play. We had to play physical. But the funny thing was, uh, when you look at 90, 95, everybody, ah, oh, it's a, the old Jacques Lemaire trap style and so on and so forth. If you look at all those years, yeah, we're playing the trap. Well, then how come we led the league every year in goal score? So it's kind of a facade because you're looking at hockey today and now everybody pretty well because of the speed of it plays kind of the trap. It's a little different now because you don't have the, the red line, but um, – but anyway, the when it came down, when it, it when it comes to any Stanley Cup, but but necessarily in '95, you know, you had uh, Jimmy Dowd scored a big goal. Uh, you know, Pepe scored. Well, Pepe always scored big goals, but everybody had a part had had a part in it. And and uh, you look at that game against Detroit, and uh, Nieder goes down, uh, loses a stick behind the, the net. And one of the Detroit players get, hands him his stick back. He goes back, gets the puck, come back, <laughs> comes back down and scores <laughs> with, with the winning goal. So they're just just things like that. And I, and I, I definitely remember uh, the um, the Detroit series because uh, we were that's about as focused as I've ever seen a team get. Um, and I don't think anybody was going to beat us there. And then. You know, you you always forget about the guy between the pipes, but Marty is, you know, he was like having a backstop. He just he just stopped everything, and he was he was spectacular, which you, which you need. And and then you've got the big hit by uh, Scotty Stevens um, in Detroit, where he I thought he killed the guy, but um, but that's that's way that's the way Scotty was. He was just he was a mountain of a man. So, what are the different types of emotions between? being a player hoisting the cup and being the coach being hoisting the cup, because you mentioned they're different experiences, but how do they differ and how are they kind of the same? Uh, as a player, you had to get yourself ready mm -hmm. and then you kind of had to 
you know, worry a little bit about who you were playing against. But after the game, got to go have a couple of beers, go to bed, go to sleep. Um, as a coach or an assistant, you got to look at film. And, and it was probably uh, a little bit easier for me in 95 as an assistant. But in 2000, when I was the head, came back as the head coach, there would be nights I would be still up at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning looking at, looking at films. In fact, um, and not, not getting away from the 95, but uh, um, I remember that Philadelphia series when we, when we came back. I was looking at film and it was 2.30 in the morning. And I don't, I mean, for some reason, something caught my eye. And I said, look at this. It's the same thing happening, same thing happening. And so the following day in practice, I designed, I, I, you know, I talked to a couple of the guys. And then when we had our meeting, I said, okay, listen, this is, Philadelphia is going to do this. No, do you want to do it all the time? It doesn't matter the score. It doesn't matter whatever. And so, you know, how Marty liked to play the puck. So I said, Marty, you're not playing the puck. Stay in the net. Just stay in the net. And when the puck would come around, they would, they would send one guy behind the net and two down the same side. So the defenseman would go straight back. And they, it was okay to take the hit. So Scotty or say Scotty Stevens it was, he would take the hit and he'd pop it. And we'd bring the centerman way back down, pop it to the center, throw it back out. And, and like nine times out of 10, we'd end up with a two-on-one or a three-on-two or whatever. We'd, we'd catch three guys with one pass. So those are the kind of things that you do um, as a coach. So the, for me, the biggest difference is as a player, it's yourself. But as a coach, now you've got 24 or 25 or 23 people that you're having to to control all the time and no sleep and whatever for two and a half months. So um, I think that to me, that's the biggest difference. So did you discover that? And by the way, I had not heard that story. So that's fascinating. I don't know that you know many people had heard that before about that discovery. Was that after game four, after kicking over the can and saying, hey, guys, you don't know what you have here. You're blowing an opportunity. Yeah, actually, it was, Matt, because uh, it, it was it was bugging me because I knew that we were a better team than we were showing. And but I could see the frustration starting to set in. And um, and of course, I, I you know, I can guess I can say it now because we're, we're not playing them anymore, but. Um, to me, the biggest difference is when they brought Lindros back in, I think that gave our guys a, a big pump because they were playing, they had, they were, they were playing extremely well. Now, all of a sudden you got Lindros back in and their lines, their lines changed up and they were, they were a different team. And then I, I remember like it was yesterday, um, when Scotty hit Lindros, Bobby Halik turned back to me and he goes, we got this. It was, I'm still getting goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. It was really, really awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I, by the way, I'm sharing in your goosebumps, to be quite <laughs> honest with you, because I can see, I can visualize that moment. Uh, yeah. You know, it was an incredible yeah. hit. The air went out of the building and the life, yeah. uh, in many ways, left the Philadelphia Flyers yeah. with that hit. Just a, another yeah. moment in devil's history, for sure. Do you remember, Matt, the, the Toronto series? Yes. Uh, when the, 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 I, I, was it game five when we won it in, in Jersey? Uh, Good question. Eh? 
Yeah, it is a good question. There's a lot. <laughs> anyway, in my it, mind was right the final, it was the final game. And, and I had, I, I had, I had told Bobby Halik, you're going against Sundin. So every time Sundin went on the ice, Bobby Halik went on the ice. And uh, so, no, you know, we're playing and extremely well. And, I, and, and we're, we're down, I don't know what, how many minutes, maybe like five minutes left in the third period. And, and uh, I think it was Bobby Carpenter come over to me and goes, you know how many shots they've got? And I go, no, no don't bother me now. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to concentrate on the line change and everything he goes, take a look. And I looked up, Toronto had six shots mm-hmm. in the, and we were into the third period. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Yeah. That yeah. was, a, that was as much domination that I've ever seen. I, we, yeah, that's, that's- that was that was game five, and then the five, series yeah. was won in game six. And it went three shots in the first, two yeah. in the second, yeah, and one in the third. Incredible, huh? Yeah, yeah, just amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was great. That's what I mean. I love uh, reminiscing, especially about my days in Jersey, because we we had so many. I mean, whenever we have these get-togethers, you know, like the celebrations from '95 and all that. I mean, you could tell how close the guys are because they couldn't wait to see each other and start talking about stuff that happened and reminiscing and all that. It's you know, those are those are things that you you take to your grave. So it's it's wonderful. Is it just part of a natural ability of a hockey player and a hockey coach to be able to you know pull up um, plays from you know? 15, 20 years ago and be able to recount it in such detail the way you are. Is that just how um, a hockey player's brain is kind of wired to remember all those fine little details? Because I'm always so impressed when people yeah. are, are are doing that. Well, it's easier to remember the good ones. Because <laughs> you try to, you try to suppress, suppress the bad ones, you know. Um, but um, I, I, I think it's because uh, that's that's if you're if you're a successful player or you've you've done it a long time it just it just becomes it's like walking you know you don't, yeah. you don't have to tell yourself well you know put your left foot in front and put your right foot in front and in hockey it's uh it's stuff that um when it's part of your life and for me it's over almost over 50 years so it's been all of my life basically so uh it's so much easier to, to recount uh, things that that happened during your, you know, I guess your your life as a as a hockey player and hockey coach. You mentioned the impact that Robbie Fatorik had on you, the influence, you know, yeah. uh, when you went down there during the the lockout, and then you replace him as head coach uh, and yeah. win a championship. How difficult was that, or is that just professional sports? No, it was difficult because I. I love uh, Robbie. He was, I mean, I loved his enthusiasm. Um, I, I, I disagreed with a lot of, of maybe some of the things that he did, but that's, I mean, that's part of coaching. Uh, when you're an assistant, there are a lot of things that the head coach maybe does, but he's the guy that's got to answer the bell in the, in the end. So um, there's a lot of things that sometimes you, you disagree on, but um, having said that, um, you know, I, I, again, it was, it was Lou, the way he presented it. Um, he said, he, uh, he's cause, uh, and I know a lot more now than I, maybe I did back then, but 
you see sometimes from the outside, it's good to ask questions because sometimes you're on the outside, you see more than, than what you see on the inside and vice versa. You know, uh, you can sit up top uh, where you sit, Matt and, and Amanda and, and look at a game. Uh, but when you're down behind the bench, it's a whole, whole new feeling. I know um, a couple of years ago when, when uh, Doug Armstrong had asked me to go behind the bench when they fired um, uh, Mike Yo, uh, man, oh, man, the first two or three games, I was lost. I said, holy mackerel, this thing's pretty fast. So it, it, your, the whole game, your mindset and, and how you look at something is, is uh, completely different. So anyway, in this, in this case, uh, when Lou had uh, approached me and had asked me about it, um, I, at first I said, you know what, um, let me think about it. But uh, I said, you know what? I said, sure, uh, you know, I'll do it. Because uh, I, I think I knew the team pretty well. And uh, actually the first... And I, you know, maybe not so much as a head coach, but as an assistant, you hear a little more of the chitter chatter and the, and the complaining and all the bitching and moaning that goes on. And um, at, around that time, I had heard all, and, and I think it was in, might have been in the media too, Matt, at that time, they were always saying, oh, there's no leader here. The, the devils don't really have uh, a captain to, that they can really count on and so forth. And that was my first meeting. My first meeting when I brought everybody in, I said, guys, enough of this BS. Said, you guys are bitching and moaning. We don't have a leader. They're talking about it outside. I said, you got the best leader uh, that ever played right here. And I pointed to Scotty. Whew, what a good, <laughs> probably the best thing I ever did. Because, uh, you know, he's a, a very, very, very proud individual. And right away, I, ha I had my guy. And as a, as a head coach, you, you need somebody that you can talk to and you need somebody that's not afraid to stand up and, you know, and, and that's the way Scotty was. Guys weren't, the guys weren't putting out uh, during the practice. In comes Scotty. You'll, you, you, uh, you, you knew that you, that you weren't playing well. So uh, just by chance, that was probably one of the, my best decisions that I ever made. But I, I still stand to this this day. He he was what he was a great captain for us. You've talked about the influence of Lou that Lou has had on you that Jacques has as well. Working as partners, uh, coaching. Was there yeah. any coach that you had in your time as a player in Montreal and with the Kings that? you know, you used what you learned from them or that they influenced you um, in terms of your coaching style and what you wanted, how you wanted to treat your players? Well, a little, well, a little bit. I mean, to me, the probably one of the best bench coaches that I've ever played with was Scotty Bowman. The, the way that he could manipulate a bench and, you know, move guys in and out of their spots and everything else. He was just, he was truly a genius when it came to that. But um, Lemaire, I, I, I learned probably the most from him, the way that he, uh, the way, like he, you didn't get to sit in on his meetings, but, uh, when we lost, uh, I think it was against Philly, I think it was when against Philadelphia. And, um, and as soon as we got, he, you know, I could see it was bugging him and bugging him. And then as soon as we got into Philly, he had a, a meeting right, right there. 
Uh, and then, and, the, and when he spoke, oh my God, I wanted to go, go out on the ice and play. He just, <laughs> he, he knew how, he, he, could, he always said the right things in the right way. I mean, he could get under, he could get under guy's skin too, because he was a little, um, how do you say it? He, uh, he, he kind of, not, not, not arrogant, but uh, he just knew how to push all the right buttons, which right. is a lot, a lot like Scotty. Um, but for me personally, um, I, I learned a lot from, from, uh, Jacques and then, but a, a lot of it, I just, I, it was my, the way that I thought the game, I took a yeah. lot of what Jacques took, but I, having played the way and knew how the way I wanted to play, I, I took a lot of my own stuff as well. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, set the record straight. It was game six, that Toronto game is with three, nothing. Yeah. Right that's now. what I thought. Yeah, yeah, it was game okay. six. It was. I didn't want to say you were wrong, Matt. But <laughs> oh, that's, that's, a, that's right. Just get it the get it the back of the line. There's a lot of people waiting to do exactly that. I'm sure anyone listening is screaming, hey, Bob, what are you doing?" But that series was interesting too because they had a three games to. Uh, they had taken a lead in the series, and the city thought they were going to celebrate. Yeah, and they were on to a championship, and they're still searching for one. Anyway, yeah. you have said that the 2000 championship. Oh, by the way, for those who don't know. Ten times Larry Robinson has had his name engraved on the Stanley Cup. Uh, six as a player, three as a coach, and one most recently with St. Louis, um, yeah. uh, you know, in a scout advisor role. Anyway, you have said the 2000 championship was your favorite. And I always thought that's an unfair question to ask. Like they're all they're all yeah. good, right? But yeah. but I've heard you say that. Why? Well, it's my, f- my number one. Is my first uh, first job as a head coach. And, uh, just, uh, I don't know that all, every series had something that, um, uh, you know, like I remember the Toronto series, um, uh, sitting down with, uh, uh, Scotty Gomez cause I was going to bench him cause he was playing awful. I mean, just, he wasn't doing anything. And, uh, so this, and I didn't sleep all night because I hate, I, I hate doing that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe hate's not the word. No, I, yeah, I, I hated it. Uh, anyway, um, so I'm sitting beside him and, and I'm going, Scotty, how you doing? Yeah, he goes, uh, not so great and whatever. Anyway, the gist of the, the conversation was, I said, Scotty, I don't, I don't think I'm going to put you in tonight. Oh, don't Larry, don't do that. He said, oh, you know, and you know how Scotty is. He talking 900 miles a minute. I don't want to do that. I said, oh, you know, I'll come and play. I said, don't worry about it. And he was playing with um, Alexander McGillney, too. So it was a great line because we had the A line, and then then I could come back with with uh, Scotty's line after. And and I knew that Scotty was a better player, and he was showing. Uh, so anyway, I said, okay, you better be right, because if you're not, if if you know, if you don't play well, that's it. You, you, you won't, you probably won't get back in the lineup. So anyway, he goes out that night and I think he had a goal and two assists and the rest is history. But like each, each series had, had something, but uh, I don't think that we win in 2000 if we don't have Alex McGillney. That's when we got Alex, I used to love going to practice because he raised, he raised our level of practice from there to there just with his speed and what he did and 
and everything else. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was, and that, and then of course you get to against Dallas who, you know, were reigning champions or a favorite to win the, the cup anyway. And you've got this battle between Belfort and, and Marty, and then you got Hatcher on the other side and Scotty on, on our side. And it was, it just had, it just had everything. And, um, so to me, especially because it was my, my first, I, I guess that's that's why it's that special. You mentioned McGillney and, you know, anytime it's about the Hockey Hall of Fame about to make their announcements of who's going to be in the next class, Devils fans in particular are hoping to see that McGillney eventually gets in again this year, left off of the group. Yeah. And, you know, you're a Hockey Hall of Famer, obviously. I mean, are you disappointed to see that he's not in there yet? And do you think well, that he should? Yeah, uh, when I see some of the players that are in there that I don't think uh, were as good or have mm-hmm. the credentials that uh, that Alex has, I, I definitely think he should be there. He, uh, I mean, I got to see him day in and day out. Yeah. And he certainly doesn't take a backseat to anybody. He, What he did, and even what he did in Buffalo, I mean, this is a, I mean, he was a tremendous, tremendous hockey player. I, I think what's... Tainted, tainted at all this is kind of the way that he finished his career. I think everybody thinks about what happened towards the end, but he, I mean, he was hurt. I mean, he had bad, bad uh, hip and everything else. So he couldn't play up to the potential that everybody had seen him play before. And that, Hey, listen, that happens to us all. But uh, no, I, I, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Alex's. I, I'm, I, I see that there's no reason why he shouldn't be in there. Well, Devils fans are big fans of yours, uh, Larry Robinson. <laughs> Hockey fans everywhere, Montreal, of course. Uh, we appreciate your time. It's been a marvelous uh, run uh, down memory lane for me and I know for Amanda. And uh, we thank you so much. And uh, we hope to see you soon in this uh, COVID world. But hopefully we'll be able to see you face-to-face. Yes, I just I, – I hope everybody um, – you know, everybody stays healthy and keep your six feet apart, wear your mask. It's not a big thing. Listen, Marty wore one his whole career. So <laughs> if it was good for Marty, why can't it be good for us? Uh, amen to that. Larry Robinson, thanks so much. Thanks. Great talking thanks, to you all. That might have been the fastest 40 <laughs> minutes or so. I'm not sure exactly how long it went. And the ease of conversation was such that we could have done another 40 minutes and it would have been just as interesting as the first 40 minutes. I mean, the man can tell a story, his memory about moments that I forgot, by the way, game six, not game five. Uh, (laughs) uh, Phenomenal. I'm just sorry that, uh, you know, we, we had to move along, but we'll have him back. That's for sure. So I think, you know, as Awesome as it was hearing from him on the podcast, I think one of my favorite stories that he told was off of, you know, the podcast as we were getting ready, or maybe the most fascinating. And it was, you know, he told you and I, Maddie, this was his first Zoom call. And I I don't understand how that's even possible. Like, (laughs) he said, this is the first time I'm using Zoom. I'm like, who, like, what have you been doing for six months? (laughs) That was my favorite. I was like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's true. He said it was his first, although he, there was some other family. And he, was, he was like house party or something. That Correct. He does with his but for, for Zoom. <laughs> like who doesn't, like who hasn't done this? <laughs>
Exactly. Uh, but he came through with flying colors. He did. Didn't he? <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, I got a chuckle, although at the time I can only imagine how frustrated and upset he was. The fact that his car got stolen in his first trip to New Jersey. He's parked outside the hotel getting ready for camp and everything gets stolen. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's what, awful. What what a welcome. But some of those stories, uh, and I, I was being honest. I mean, when he told some of those stories, I got goosebumps too. Bobby Holik turning over his shoulder and saying, yeah, we got this. And uh, boy, uh, I, remember, I remember that hit like it was yesterday. I really do. It was just... Really? Deafening silence, if you know what I mean, in Philadelphia. Yeah, I do. Yeah, but the devils uh, put themselves in that hole, and they wound up climbing out of it, and they went on to their second Stanley Cup championship. Well, that was a delight, and we are looking forward to uh, having Larry back another time. On that note, though, we'll wrap things up. Uh, Amanda, we keep doing this Zoom thing. We are veterans, but hopefully hopefully we'll be able to see each other face-to-face in the near term. I would absolutely love that. But in the meantime, everyone just keep doing what you, you know, have to do so that we all together can get out of this and, you know, see each other all face to face once again. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, that might be the 12th consecutive way I've ended our podcast. Let's hope we get together soon. I mean it. I but know. We're, we're, we're getting closer. True. We are getting we closer are. to it. We are. We are. All we'll right. Stick so that with it. That's it. That's it. Perseverance. All right. That will wrap things up on Speak of the Devils. For Amanda Stein, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thank you, as always, for your company. We truly appreciate it. Be well, everyone. Be safe. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.